0: I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. Thanks to Raya Eyewear for sponsoring this episode of Holding Court. I've been wearing Raya since last year. During the pandemic, I started teaching more lessons than ever before, especially outside. Raya are by far the best sunglasses for tennis I've ever used. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A Eyewear. .com and use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. They are total game-changers. All right, everyone, holding court. Time for a little State of the Tennis Union here in early May. The year is 2021. The good news is the tennis world seems to be picking up some steam and starting to come back to a little more sense of normalcy. Of course, we here in the United States, and specifically where I am in New York, have really uh, – Been able to get control of this pandemic. Things starting to open up a lot more in the New York area, here in New York City as well. Even, believe it or not, attended a Yankee game about a week or so ago. It was about a 30% capacity for the Yankee game. I think it's going up to about 35% um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, On the tennis front, obviously able to watch the Barcelona tournament on the men's side when Nadal and Tsitsipas has played an unbelievable match in that championship match there. Great to see tons of fans in attendance for that one masked up. Uh, I don't think it was full capacity, but it certainly looked like a pretty solid crowd. Nadal uh, reacted as if he'd won another French open. Uh, But again, it tells you a lot about Rafa when you see his reaction to, you know, Barcelona means a lot to him, of course, because he, Grew up in a lot of ways at that club. I know he's from Mallorca, but he played a lot of tennis in Barcelona. Has won that tournament, what I guess it's now, 13 times. Uh, takes his traditional dip into the swimming pool there. It's a nice uh, country club. They, well, not a country club, it's a tennis club. They turn it into a spectacular venue for uh, the Barcelona Open. So Tsitsipas played a heck of a match. Actually had a match point in that third set. Uh Rafa saved it and then won at seven five in the third, three hours and thirty-eight minutes for that championship match. So the French Open, as many of you know, has been pushed to one week later as France trying to control their numbers uh with COVID. So they uh French Federation deciding to buy just a little extra time. And and here's the bottom line and the reason why is because tennis desperately needs fans to come back for the energy, for the buzz for the vibe, for the television spectacle that it is, but quite frankly, mostly for the economics. I mean, tennis relies on the daily gate and the attendance more so than really any big-time sport. If you – well, I consider tennis a big-time sport. Maybe not many in this country, in the United States, do as far as uh, revenue goes. Obviously, when you compare it to the NFL, it's it's minuscule. But uh, around the world, obviously, tennis is still extremely popular – uh, and while the other team sports specifically, I, I mean, I know about the ones in my country more than obviously soccer is similar in that they're, you know, the TV deals and the sponsorship deals for those sports are much bigger than they are in tennis. Now, the majors have pretty significant uh, deals for TV revenue Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Uh, The French Open more so in Europe than the United States. Uh, Australian Open, big deals in Australia and uh, in Asia. Not, again, as much revenue do they get from the United States, but uh, in the U.S. and Wimbledon. But they they do very well, uh, the majors, as far as their uh, television rights uh, packages. But still, tennis relies at least a third of their – money that they bring in comes in from uh daily ticket sales and then you include in that merchandise you include hospitality you know for the big wigs that come to the to the majors and rent the suite to the U.S. Open for the whole time so that was you know so what's happened in tennis is that's gone down and and very quickly affected the players I mean in other sports maybe you'll see a trickle-down effect in in a number of years. You won't see it in the NFL because they just keep, you know, renewing bigger and bigger TV deals because that's uh, the most popular sport in the United States and certainly from a TV standpoint. But you wonder in baseball, you know, hockey just – actually my my, uh, company, um, uh, ESPN, just did a big deal with the NHL. TNT involved in that as well – So the NHL doing okay. Uh, Baseball, uh, you wonder if it'll start to affect the players' contracts down the road. I mean, because those teams, obviously, not making anywhere near the money that they normally make. And baseball, I think, relies on the gate a lot more. There's so many games. Their TV, national TV package is not like the NBA or uh, like the NFL. But anyway, tennis coming back, the pressure is on to get – People back into the stand. So the French opened, we still don't know. Uh, obviously, they're going to do everything they can to get, get as many people as they can, as the government will allow. Wimbledon uh, has already announced that there will be at least 25%, and they're hoping that's going to go up considerably because I guess the UK government, much like what's happening here where I am in the New York area, will announce uh, in maybe in mid-June, I believe it is, if they're going to uh, up the capacity. I've, I've even heard possibly going to full capacity. I'm not sure it will happen that quickly. I think that's why here in New York, which I'm most aware of because I follow it on a daily basis, you know, sort of staggering it, not doing it in one fell swoop, even though the numbers are way down for COVID, uh, the vaccine certainly playing a huge A Part of that, I got vaccinated about um, a couple weeks ago. I got my second shot, did the Pfizer. My wife did the Moderna. She had a little, um, about 24 hours not feeling great after she got her second shot. But most people that I've come into contact with that have gotten it have had very little side effects, uh, you know, a day or two, maybe under the weather after the second shot. So tennis is in a much better spot, certainly, uh, than it was a year ago. Uh, we actually had a call with our team at ESPN just in the last week, and it looks like, we're not sure, uh, it's certainly not official, but it's looking relatively optimistic that our team from ESPN will be able to make the trip over to uh, Wimbledon to cover the tournament. We'll, we'll, of course, we'll cover the tournament no matter what. Uh, the question is whether we would actually be in attendance at the tournament. Of course, we were not at the Australian Open We covered that from ESPN headquarters up in Bristol, Connecticut. I think we did a hell of a job. Our production team I thought was amazing. We had great studio set up there. But uh, certainly it's not the same uh, as when you can actually be there in attendance. So news looking better uh, for Wimbledon. By the way, Wimbledon also announced, in case you missed this, that uh, they, starting in 2022, are doing away with that middle Sunday break. Traditionally at Wimbledon they've always had that middle Sunday as a day off. Now, they have played at some points over the years when they get backed up with significant rain, but uh, then then we have this incredible Monday, which has now become uh, the the term Manic Monday. I think Chris Fowler uh, likes to take... Uh, responsibility for that, I think he was the first guy. At least I know. Maybe they talked about it years ago. That said, that, that talked about it because they got round of sixteen matches on the men's and women's side on that second Monday at Wimbledon, which was a plethora of amazing matches. But in some ways, it was almost too many because you you couldn't follow them all. We we, we even had two networks going at ESPN the last couple of years to be able to hopefully cover them all. But you know, the truth of the matter is that it, it the, the, the next couple days, you know, the schedule isn't as good because it's not spaced out as well. So I think actually going to tennis on the middle Sunday is, is, is great for the event. Uh, obviously, there's some money involved, which you know, you know, Wimbledon is always, you know, they've never been totally obsessed with making as much money as they can. They, they respect the tradition. But, you know, they're still making a lot more money, okay, having an, uh, tele, uh, uh, television on the Sunday. Uh, you know, a whole bunch more fans coming in, merchandise and the whole thing. So it's, look, it's it's huge business. I think, the, I think that this was in the works already for Wimbledon. They were already looking at this. They don't do anything haphazardly. I mean, they take their time. They're very methodical in the way they go about their decision makings, whether it's electronic line calling, whether it's adding sponsor, different sponsor sign to center court. You know, traditionally they've had just one or two sponsors. So they don't do anything. Uh, flying by the seat of their pants. But I do think that the pandemic, and even though they had insurance that covered them last year in 2020, they got a huge windfall of money because they had taken out an insurance policy, which I don't believe anybody else in tennis had against the pandemic uh, because it was the first time Wimbledon wasn't played since World War II. Uh, but I do think that looking down the road, uh, the economics become uh, important for everybody. So tennis is, has suffered. The players uh, are not getting paid nearly as much uh, in these events. Uh, obviously, if you're Federer, Serena, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, I mean, it's not like you're that worried about it. You're the top, top players. But the truth of the matter is for – I mean, I'm going to say pretty much every other player um, – you know when you go from i believe the miami tournament just as an example the the prize money was 1.3 to 4 million to win it pre covid and this year i believe it was 300,000 okay now they have scattered they have they have changed the breakdown of the prize money uh, a bit to benefit the lower ranked players meaning the players that lose in the first round or two or three I have been talking about this for years, saying that I believe that tennis, professional tennis, is way too top heavy in the way they go about their prize money distribution. It drives me crazy if you want me to be honest about it. When I worked for the USTA, when I was uh, part of the, the senior staff team there, I mean, it was always just sort of a given that the USTA went for the US Open would would have, make sure they had the highest prize money check to the winner male or female, because the prize money's the same. Uh, and so they'd always up the ante. If, you know, for example, if Wimbledon, the prize money to win it was 3.6, the US Open made sure it was 3.8 or 4 million. So what me, that meant happening is that to, for, the, for the winners, it just kept going up astronomically. I think my, when my brother won his first US Open, I believe in the late 70s, like 60 grand to win it, <laughs> OK? So of course, it should keep going up. <clears throat> but relatively speaking, if you look at golf, professional golf, for example, and you break down the prize money distribution in, in big events. Let's say, let's just say, for example, it's $2 million to the winner. Okay. the second person who comes in second place usually makes about a one, seven, five, one, eight, then it goes to one, six, then to one, four, and then to one, two, you get my drift in tennis. It's like 4 million to the winner, 2 million to second place, the finalists. One million to the semifinals. This is big money. I get them, but when you go to the lower events, where it's you know sixty five thousand dollars to win a tournament, then it's thirty seven five to come in second place, uh, or thirty two, whatever the numbers are. You get my point. Um, it, it, you, when you start getting into the lower ranked players, but these are darn, these are world class players ranked between you know forty and two hundred. Um, there's not a ton, a ton of money. They're making a, that much money. And when you consider that tennis players have to travel on their own, they have to hire a coach, they have to pay the coach, they have to pay the coaches travel, pay for their food, uh, and so on. Um, it's, you know, when you, you see the numbers next to the prize money, if someone makes $700,000, as an example, in prize money, obviously a lot of that goes to taxes, but that's for any of us, whatever we make. Uh, but a lot of the, the – they have huge expenses, these tennis players. So the the economics, I think – I hope when tennis gets back to normal as far as they get back to the normal levels of prize money, I hope we're, we will see that the prize money distribution will continue in this direction where it's not so top-heavy. I don't believe that Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer and, and Serena Williams, the top-top players, have to make – Exponentially more. They should make more, of course, to win the tournament, and they should make a lot more in guaranteed money to show up at tournaments, which they do because of their names. And they should make a lot more in their their deals with their sponsors, their rackets, their clothes, whatever they can do. But I don't believe they should make that much more when it comes to just the actual prize money distribution. So compare if you ever get, get around to it. Compare the prize money at the at the year end or midway through the year. Between pro... Ten- By the way, it's almost impossible to find it in tennis, which drives me crazy. It's like they hide it. I try to find it on the... You know, golf. I mean, it's listed in the paper every day. Prize money, PGA Tour. You know, and then the, most of the... You go for the player. Look what they're making when they're ranked number one, number five, 10, 25, 50, 100, 150. And then go down in tennis. And you'll see it drops off. It drops like a cliff in tennis as compared to golf. Now, the top three, four players in tennis usually make a lot more than the top three or four in golf. I, for one, happen to think that's not, not a total necessity. A um, lot of issue, a lot of questions I've been getting, too, about uh, who's going to, you know, one of these young guys to break through. and you know, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about it. Somebody just please step up and do it. I mean, that's what I want to say. I'm tired of, like, trying to predict Who's going to be the next guy? I mean, first it was like the, the Nishikouris of the world and the Dimitrov. And I even said it when Dimitrov made the semis at one year at Wimbledon, he's going to win Wimbledon one day. Well, how wrong was I about that? Then we get to the next, you know, group of players. Even, even though, finally, team won one. But, I mean, the fact where team is now, I'm hoping he gets it back together on clay. He's in Madrid. He's going to play there. I mean, he's fallen off the cliff since he won the U.S. Open, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to say this, and I didn't say it last year when it happened at the U.S. Open that there shouldn't be an asterisk for COVID or for the fact that Djokovic got defaulted and Nadal wasn't there, Federer wasn't there because of COVID and injury. Well, now I'm putting the asterisk there because, you know, team's done nothing. And, and I know he's, oh, it's burst my bubble. You know, 20 years I've been chasing this dream to win a major. you got to find the balance, man. you got to find the balance, Dominic. Of uh, you know putting all the your energy into your matches, but finding you know like a, a way to manage yourself because I mean this guy's an all-out animal when he goes on the practice court, but he's you know he's got to learn how to pace himself a little bit more. And I think the mental fatigue more than anything. Uh, I mean the effort he put forth in that loss in uh, I think it was Dimitrov, if I remember correctly, just really was pitiful, absolutely pitiful. So that's one thing. I hope he gets. I love Dominic. He's a great guy, great worker. But you, you got to find that balance, and you got to bring it. You got to bring it, okay? Because now you know, this is a guy who could actually go toe to toe with Rafa, I believe, on clay, even when Rafa's playing well. Okay, but I'm I'm tired of hearing about these other younger guys. You know, when are they going to break through and win one? I mean, Sinner's got a, a lot of possibilities. Uh, but there's been so many guys we've been waiting for. Even Medvedev at the Australian this year was just terribly disappointing. Not so much that he lost, but just the effort. And the, to me, it looked like he had no idea what he was trying to do. And if you think you're going to go in there against Novak Djokovic in the semis or finals of a, a major. Okay, well, okay, Clay, maybe you can get him. He's, you know, guys can beat him on Clay. He's not as dominant on Clay. Nadal, okay, maybe you can get him and, on Wimbledon. You know, he's been picked off there. But, I mean, Nadal at the French, okay, or Djokovic at the Australian or the Open Federer, you know, in his prime. We hope he comes back and could be close to his prime I at mean, Wimbledon. I mean, if you want to beat these guys when it matters most, I mean, you better be come to the table with, like, everything you got. I mean, everything. I'm talking about the mental, the physical – strategy and and then then maybe you got a shot to be in the match forget about winning it but i mean just to be in the sh- i i've just seen these guys just not show up into and that's what to me what was disappointing about mevic because i predicted the guy was going to win the tournament i thought okay now things are going to you know we're gonna we we saw him step up in some other matches losing efforts by the way djokovic a couple of years ago at the australian uh Nadal in the, in the U.S. Open final when no one expected him to be, and he looked like he was going to lose in three straights and managed to get back into it and turn it into a five-setter. So now I'm thinking, okay, this guy's ready. He won the year-end championships in London. He beat Djokovic. Now, Djokovic, I mean, he basically tanked, okay? I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what happened in that match. He was, he was, he was sort of into it for six, seven games. He got broken. He got pissed off, and he's just like, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to go balls to the wall right now. To try to beat this guy you know it's a year-end championship it means a lot but I've already finished number one I bested you know f- or I, I tied Federer I think I was a tied or I don't know I mean now he's been number one 311 weeks nobody's talking about that too much but look Djokovic is Djokovic so anyway you get to the final of, after what he'd been through earlier in the tournament Novak looking like he was injured and out of it against Taylor Fritz and then against Roundich, and then slowly he's like, okay, he's getting over this. He's he's getting better with each match. And then by the time he plays Koretsev, which is another unbelievable story, how a guy like that comes out of basically nowhere to make the semis and now he's like a big time player. Well, I'll tell you how, because the guy's incredibly talented and for many years he was just floundering for whatever reason, mostly mental probably, and he finally got his act together. And got someone, in I believe a guy I used to play with, who became his coach. And you know, he's like, "Listen, you, I've got one more shot." This was a couple of years ago, and I got to get my, you know, what together. Uh, and he did. And but you know, there's a there's a million guys like Kuretsv out on the Challenger tour or on the you know lower levels of the pro game that are really good players. But there's no shot they could get to that level. This guy's got, like, ridiculous firepower of both wings. And, and somehow it just wasn't clicking. But there's, no, there's a million guys, not a million, 150 guys that are at the level he was at that have no chance to do what this guy's done, okay, in the last six months. They have no chance because they don't have the, the ability and the, and, the, and, the, and the talent and the firepower that this guy has. So now this guy's on a roll. I mean, even gone playing on clay, ex- extremely well. Um, so I went off track, but that's what I do when I go on my rant. Okay, and that's just what's going to happen. And so, so Medvedev, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to he's going to show up and he's going to slow ball Djokovic. He's going to show him early, like I'm willing to you play long points and and make you suffer and make you do something. Play down the middle, you know, sort of tease Djokovic. And he didn't do any of that came out like he was just like any other match. Like, I'm, I'm just going to beat this guy playing my normal, you know, straight-up kind of game. And, and he actually made it reasonably close in the first set, and then it was over. The guy just completely disappeared. And, again, it, it didn't look to me like he, w- he just wanted to go to the wall to try to play with Djokovic, which he did a couple of years ago when they played when he had no chance. To, to really win the match. And that's when we, he, started, he sort of got all of our attention. Like, wow, this guy's like unbelievable. He thinks he can just outrun Djokovic. This episode is being brought to you by Raya Eyewear. Over the last few years, a growing concern of mine has been the long-term effects of overexposure to UV rays from my extended time on court in the sun. You know, following that little yellow ball all over the globe. Well, I was also just tired of squinting on sunny days, but my fear was always that wearing sunglasses to protect my eyes would affect the way I hit the ball. Well, last year, especially during the pandemic last summer, I came across Raya, and I'm so, so glad that I did. Raya is changing the way tennis players see the game and protect their most important performance asset, their vision. All of their eyewear is handcrafted in Italy and built specifically to enhance ball contrast and provide protection from those harmful UV rays. There's no question that they help me see the ball better, they relax my eyes in the sun, and they've become an essential part of my tennis experience. Check them out at RayaEyewear.com. That's R-I-A-Eyewear.com. Use the code PATRICK to get $20 off your first pair. I promise. You will love these sunglasses. Hopefully you heard my podcast earlier with my brother, Mac to Mac. We're going to do that about once a month here on Holding Court. So that was, uh, by the way, the downloads were tremendous on that. Uh, I think it was the most we got in the first 24 hours of any podcast. So, I'm like, you know, we, we bring them in. They like people, you guys like to hear the brothers, which uh, we enjoyed it. John enjoyed it. We're going to keep doing it and who knows um, well, where we will continue to go. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth I had on as well last week. I've got Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, by the way, coming up uh, in a couple of days in my uh, featured pod of the week, my featured guest, I call it, on season two. So wait till you hear her story. She's a big-time tennis player, loves tennis. I talk a little bit of politics with her, but you know I try to get to see the other side of the senator. She's um, been out in front on a lot of really important issues, uh, in this country in this in my state of New York, but we talk tennis you'll be you 'll be interested to hear actually how we met Senator Gillibrand and I years ago, so uh, she reminded me of that, so she we, we had a lot of fun. but uh, where was I? I was, I was on Medvedev, so Medvedev look, I mean uh, can he win a major? Of course he can. I mean, you get that close, you can do it. Zverev has been uh, disappointing. Uh, the serve has been the reason that he hasn't been able to win one Although He got an awful close against team. Uh, and you look at the French open coming up. I mean, you can't tell me you're going to, you can bet against the right now. You just can't tell me by the way, the women, I really like when I'm seeing the women's game as well right now. The, the Swiatek played Barty today. That match ended a little while ago. I actually didn't get to see it. I was dying to see it, but I was at our, uh, the tennis Academy all day working so I'm going to check out the uh, replay of it uh, when I can. But uh, I love that young Polish player when she, of course, won it last year. I love her athleticism, the quickness in her, in her racket, her speed. Uh, but Barty has really been impressive. Uh, I mean, she didn't play at all last year because of COVID, stayed in Australia, like Curios is doing now. I hope Curios I hope comes back. Excuse me, just taking a sip of water because I went 22 minutes straight without taking a sip or a breath. Uh, Kyrgios, I wish he'd come back and play. I like what he saw from him in Australia. He's still not, you know, in tip-top shape to actually legitimately have a shot to win one of these. He's another guy that, you know, just has a ton of ability but hasn't been able to find, as my brother likes to call it, that extra gear. You know, they dig deep, but it's more than just digging deep. Like on the day, you've got to do it all, all year. That's why these top, these three guys are so good. Uh, I, I, Barty's playing awfully well on clay, and she's got so much variety. She looks like she's in great shape, enjoying herself. So she took out Sriantek in uh, straight sets, two pretty tight sets. Uh, Halop's looking very good. She's got to be one of the favorites for the French, solid as can be. Uh, Serena, uh, you know, I'm not sure what's what's her deal with the clay. Is she going to show up? I see her Instagram, and she's just busy, busy selling stuff, and, you know, God bless her. She manages to pull it all off and does a great job with that. Uh, Sabalenka's been red hot on clay. Kvitova had a good one today. for Mertova, who's a solid player from Russia. So, uh, again, it's very much it's similar. It's going to be a similar theme going into the French Open, okay, nadal and everybody else i mean don't tell me you you can't pick uh, you bet against nadal on clay right now you just can't there's no chance you can do that especially going in the best of five at the french on the clay and the women's side uh you've got you know much more intrigue as far as who's going to win it osaka you know she just lost early um who did she lose to again i saw it yesterday uh, uh, I can't remember at the moment. oh she lost to the um, Mukhova Mukhova who's really solid. She's a, like a kind of like Barty, actually the way she plays not quite as good but same sort of style. So Osaka, I don't see her winning the French. I just think it's too slow. Uh, obviously she's the best hard court player out there. Uh, but I listen. I mean, the main thing I'm hoping is that we get back, start seeing more fans coming back. The players need it. The economics of the sport need it. Uh, we need that buzz back uh, with the crowd, which brings so much. I don't think it, it, it totally affects the outcome of a lot of matches, although when you look at a few players, I mean, guys like Benoit Paire, he's lost the plot completely, although, he, you know, he never really had it. I mean, fun guy to watch. Uh, Malfis, I mean, the guy's barely – I don't think he's won a match in like since COVID hit. Crazy. And he was actually doing well, Uh, uh, you know, and he's 30. I think he's 34 now. Uh, So the French guys are sort of starting to fade away. The older, you know, that good group of French players, Sanga, Gasquet, he's getting injured a lot. Simon Manorino lost today to, by the way, Alcaraz, the youngster from Spain. So they have a lot of high hopes. He's he's actually going to turn 18. uh, And on his 18th birthday, in a day or two, he will be playing Mr. Nadal in Madrid. So that will be interesting to see what happens there. So a lot going on. I think positives in the tennis world. I hope uh, y'all, you are all enjoying season two of holding court. Keep sending me your feedback, what you want to hear, particularly in this and this uh, state of the union that I'm going to do once a week, every Tuesday, every Thursday will be a, sp- a special guest, but we could sprinkle in some tennis guests as well. Who would you like to hear from? Maybe some of my ESPN colleagues, if I can, Twist our arm and get them on. We could do some different segments. So I'm really here to serve you, my listeners. Thank you for listening. Keep on supporting us here at Mudhouse Media, my partners in my podcast. Uh, another episode here of the State of the Tennis Union with me, Patrick McEnroe, on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.